We are in Romans 12. We are continuing. In fact, we are nearing the end of the walk in Romans, a summary of the Christian experience, how we live out our faith. Right now, it's been predominantly how we relate to each other and the church. And a few exceptions. But now we get into um, the last few verses, and Paul reminds us of the, the big bad wolf, the world. <clears throat> As a Christian, we are beacons in an otherwise very dark um, place. The definition of the term that I'm using here in my message and your outlines, the word belligerent means to act aggressively or violent towards someone else. And these are the characteristics that defines what Paul is talking about in these last few verses. So just to clarify, persecution, right, is when a person hates you for your evangelism and faith in the gospel because they rebel against it. But people have picked fights with the church, have gone to war with the church for far less than the absolute truths of the gospel. I'm going to read the three verses um, that we're looking at this morning, and then we'll pray and continue to learn how to live with peace, how to live in peace with warmongers. It says from verse 17 of Romans 12, Repay no one evil for evil. Commend what is honest in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Lord, help us to soften our hearts to hear the words now and to apply it in our lives as we do everything in your power. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me illustrate. Okay, this is an oversimplification. I'm sure in real life it can go a hundred different ways. <clears throat> but let's imagine you're carrying a tool, okay, a screwdriver or a drill of some sort, and somebody across the street notices and thinks you're carrying a weapon. And they pull out a knife or a gun and they start charging you. Okay, so you can, you can do one of two things. You can either drop the tool and show that you don't mean anyone any harm, but that person didn't even consider what you were carrying, so they might not stop. They might kill you anyway, and then you're defenseless. Or you can try and use the tool as a weapon and defend yourself and stop the attack. But then you sort of proved your attacker right. You did mean harm. You did use it as a weapon. It might incite violence from other people. It's a catch-22. <clears throat> These two gut reactions 
I believe is what, is what Paul is addressing in verse 18. When evil and harm is meant on us, we react in two ways. We either retaliate in kind or we abandon what we stood for. Paul tells us here what the biblical response to evil actions should be. And that's what we're going to look at today. How do we reconcile what seems like a paradox to hold on to what we're being attacked for, but also to live peaceably with our attackers? How to avoid these two pitfalls? And what outcome can we realistically expect from a conflict of ideals? There are three things to consider in order to live in peace with the belligerent world. Consider the true cost of an evil deed. Consider the impact of strategic virtue. We'll get to that. And then consider a realistic vision of what peace looks like. <clears throat> so the first part of that verse says, Repay no one evil for evil. What is your gut response when an injustice has been done against you? Have you ever had a pretend argument in the shower with people? I'm sure we have. What is to stop you from acting on all those horrible thoughts? What is to stop me from acting on... Um, angry thoughts I have against people in my life. It's just one step removed thought to action. My own goodwill? <laughs> no. If anything, my flesh has a hundred good reasons why I should commit evil when evil is done to me. And I'm not talking about murder. Have you ever acted spitefully, sarcastically, enjoyed somebody else's misery? Have you ever gloated about your success in light of other people's failure? Have you ever been harsh with your words? Have you ever ignored someone's request to help? Have you ever gossiped or insulted someone to their face? Have you ever sabotaged someone's responsibilities? Or anything else of that nature in the name of vindication? For the sake of justice, they deserve it. You know, I heard a guy, um, a story from a family member their boss was spiteful. He would submit his work to the next department at half past four in the afternoon, knowing that those people needed to complete their portion of the work before they could go home. And he went home at five o'clock, and everyone else had to work late. <laughs> and that person told me, 
you know, I wish that per I wish the CEO would come in and see what that guy's doing and make him do all our work and make him stay there without dinner until 12 o'clock at night on his daughter's birthday and on his wife's anniversary and he would miss that important event and it serves him right. Our evil thoughts are just one step removed from evil actions. And I get it, okay? Especially when those things that we are uphold is biblical truth. When we see the evils of the world and, and we say, Lord, just put a sword in my hand and I'll, I'll cut them down and I'll fix it. No matter how small, no matter how justified you might feel, no matter how vindicated um, your action might seem, one evil deed does not cancel out another. That is not how God balances the books. That's not how it works. All we do is make more debt and ultimately adding to the burden of the cross that our Lord endured the unimaginable to pay for our sins. Sins that we commit while feeling justified in doing so. How dare we think that one evil action can pay for another? So don't go there. Don't even think about it. Let's consider the other part of that. Surrender. The second consideration then we must give to live in peace with an aggressive world is the impact of strategic virtue. Now, before I explain what I mean by that, I want us to do some quick hermeneutics, okay? In other words, Bible interpretation. And think about what the, this part of the verse means. Formulate an idea in your head if you had to go out and apply uh, and come up with a meaning at home, what would that be? All right? I didn't give it much thought until recently. In fact, I think my understanding of it has changed. Lindy printed this outline yesterday afternoon because I was struggling with this specific issue. I was going back and forth with it the whole week. Normally, I would read a commentary to um, find a memorable way to say something or inspire an illustration, but this time the commentaries were unhelpful. They were confusing me, especially the older ones. Does this verse mean that as a Christian, let's just read it again so we're all on the same page, commend what is honest in the sight of all men? Does it mean that as a Christian, I must show what is true and honest to everyone, believers and unbelievers, good and bad alike, that when they look at me, they will all agree on my moral integrity? They will all um, say, yes, that is a man that is following God, whether they're bad or, or good, and, and um, agree. Would you say it means that? 
Let me stir the pot a little, okay? The problem is, 200 years ago, moral society was easier to interpret. Christianity, for the most part, was the base of morality in society. <clears throat> whether you were unfaithful to your wife, whether you were dishonest in business, gambled, a compulsive drinker, society knew, or you knew from the common senses, what you were doing was wrong. Someone that um, followed the Lord and um, um, seeked their sanctification would be higher up on the tier list of what society deemed to be moral and good. Okay? So it was easy to look at this verse and say, everyone must agree if you are to hold up what is honest to everyone, they must all agree, say, yes, that's a, that's a, a, a godly person. What about society today? Where morality is upside down and inside out. We live in a world where abortion is considered healthcare, drug abuse is recreational, we have open relationships with multiple people in a marriage, we have grown men who identify as teenage girls, people marrying inanimate objects, and Christians are the ones that are narrow-minded, that seek inequality, that are unethical, that are immoral. You are going against the moral grain of society if you hold up the truth of Scripture. It doesn't quite translate as simply. Let me rephrase this, this part of the verse in a way that makes a bit more sense to me. Put forward what is objectively honest and true to everyone without partiality or without consideration of how they will react. The context is evil being done to us. The word commend there has an interesting connection. It says preemptively. It has the idea of acting first. Strategically, putting forward what we believe to be true and honest and right. Not reactively, not partially. This person will hate me for it, so I won't show it to them. And this person agrees with me, so I will be more freely with that, with this, with that crowd. So not in response to anything, but be the first one out the gate. When I was working with a person um, in a secular job, they always told dirty jokes and they swore like a sailor, especially um, when her friend from the other department would come and, and visit her during lunch. Um, 
I would see her coming through the door and I would get up and go take my coffee break. Or I would see the time and oh, she's gonna be here in five minutes and put earphones on so I can carry on with my work. I anticipated, I not anticipated, I was preemptive. <laughs> we should be like that when we show what we know to be true to a world that will disagree with us, that will be belligerent, that will treat us violently. Have you ever had to say no to a family bri or a work function because immorality was being celebrated? You say, I love you, but I can't. Me being there We've tried it. I'm sorry. I can't go. And you're called the hypocrite. You're called narrow-minded. You're called judgmental. You are the horrible person. Stand firm. Do not be morally extorted. In other words, they ask you to just re relent a little bit. Just give us a little bit of ground. It's minor. We're not asking you to um, um, throw away Christ and deny the gospel. We're not persecuting you. Just give a little, us a little bit of leeway. And when you look again, there's a 10% deposit on your morality, and there's 25% interest. And there's a 10% annual increase. And until we have no more Christian integrity left, and we look just like the rest of the world. And what? For the sake of peace. That's not how the Bible says we achieve peace. In verse 18, he tells us how to go about that. Consider a realistic vision of peace. Let's read it again. Verse 18. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. He says, if it is possible. <clears throat> so, are there some situations and instances where it's not even possible? I guess that's what it's implying. It says, as far as you are able... So you're saying that even though I try, my, I give my 110% and I sincerely seek peace, they still might be aggressive towards me? Yes. But you must pursue it anyway. So peace In a sense, it's not a state of being between two people. It's more of a, a mindset, a word that defines our actions and our interactions with those who hate us. Without compromising anything, does your actions motivate peace instead of continuing a cycle of evil? even if the others might not return the favor. 
perhaps even becoming more hostile. There was a time in Israel's history when open immorality was rampant, when people sacrificed their own children to pagan gods in front of the temple. Imagine being a Jew trying to live faithfully for the Lord and seeking peace with your neighbor. I can imagine the white-hot fury that some must have felt towards their countrymen. Listen to what Proverbs 20 says. Do not say, I will recompass evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. Proverbs 24, verse 19, 29. Do not say, I will do unto him just as he has done unto me. I will render to the man according to his works. Jesus liked to do that all the time. Take scripture and reword it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The wording is uncanny, wouldn't you agree? Even Roman society of the day, when this was written, much more resembled our society today. It was wrong to be a Christian. It was wrong to believe in one God. You're breaking down moral, the moral fabric of society. You're the problem. You're the scum. So our job this morning is clear. We are called to continue to walk with the Lord, hiding nothing from anyone's sight, and have peace be the motivating factor for all of our actions, regardless of the response. And in verse 19, it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, as it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Perhaps it's a matter of faith, trust in the Lord, and act with peace. impartially and not sacrificing any ground while doing so. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your, your word that is so practical in our lives, that is so relevant to us today. Help us to apply it. Help us to seek peace, but not expect peace help us to be peaceable but not compromise the values and the integrity and the truth that we stand for and thank you that you are with us and you 
strengthen us and guide us in walking a difficult road sometimes as we live out our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.